I'm Roxanne Serta, and I'm the Acquisitions Editor for CNT Publishing. I've been acquiring books for nearly 20 years, and the past seven of those have been here at CNT. Through my job, I get the privilege of meeting countless designers, authors, and industry professionals who all do amazing things with their creativity. I'll be bringing some of those quilting and stitching personalities to this podcast to share their amazing stories and insider information. Download the latest episodes and get to know great crafters, learn the backstories behind events and people, and hear funny stories from people living the crafty life. So hi, thanks for joining me. This is Roxanne Serta, and I'm here with Behind the Seams. Um, and today I'm talking with Lilo Bowman. Lilo's worked as a floral designer, a translator, tour guide, wedding planner, um, and is now the editor-in-chief and production manager for thequiltshow.com. Her work's been varied, often challenging, but it's always creative. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's always fun. Um, and just so that our, you know, so our quilting listeners and viewers will likely already know, but for those people who aren't yet aware, what is The Quilt Show? The Quilt Show is an online magazine and television show. So if you want to think of a magazine that has patterns, uh, it has instructions, it has beautiful quilts in it, we offer that. We also have the other part of the uh, website is a, um, television show and similar to Netflix I always like to say it's Netflix for quilters it is you log in to the website you have a password and as a paid member you have access to all of the shows that we have and the shows are generally 45 minutes to an hour it would be an interview with an artist learn who they are how they came into the quilt world and then um, several demos that would go along through that, that show. And the nice thing is, is that we are going into our 14th year. And so we have over 300 shows. More than likely, if you want to learn about applique, piecing, binding, quilt, you know, anything related quilt wise, uh, and we're talking contemporary art quilts as well as traditional, we more than likely have a number of shows to um, to offer to you. And it's a great resource because you can watch the shows anytime you want. So if you're a night owl and you're up at 2.30 in the morning, you can pull up a show and watch it. And because you're a member, you can access that one time, 20 times. You can take your... Um, your show viewing in your RV when we all get to go back out again. Lots of people have either, a, you know, a house in the mountains or they RV. Absolutely, you can do that. You can watch it on your iPad. You can watch it on your TV. So it really provides a lot of access for quilt knowledge for um, for the for the quilter. And the other thing is, is that we're, we also really try to present not just one medium as well as not just American artists. So you can really access um, the work of artists from around the globe. Yeah. Well, and so what is it that you do on the quilt show? Well, like many of the people that work on the quilt show, we don't all wear just one hat. So <laughs> I have two major hats <laughs> that I wear. When we are not taping and in the studio, 
Um, I'm the editor-in-chief, and so the content that comes on to the website, I have a hand in that. There is definitely an, several other people, so it's not just me doing that. The Block of the Month is a big program that I'm involved in. We always have a one that starts on January 1st of each year, and we seek artists from around the world to uh, design a quilt that would be exclusively ours for our paid members to enjoy in the first of the month. Uh, you download the installment and then you work on it throughout the year. Uh, so that's one. I also have uh, designed several different programs that we have presented to the audience. One of them being a year-long program on organizing your quilt studio, which was very, very popular. And then towards the end of the year, my boss said, okay, that's great. Now, what have you got? So I had to come up with another program. And that was followed by uh, what we were calling art lessons for quilters. So think of an art class 101, but it is only quilt related. So we're not looking at sculpture. We're not looking at glass work. We're only keeping it within the realm of, of quilting. Um, so we did, we did that. Um, and then when we're in taping, mode, um, I, I go into sort of my wedding planner um, field and background. It, taping is like doing three or four weddings in a day. There's a lot of moving parts and taping, uh, generally what I will do is handle all of the logistics. So anything that's happening behind the camera, generally I have a hand in, whether it's setting up the lodging for the artist and the crew, feeding everyone. Uh, we generally, when we were in the studio, we'd have anywhere between three to 400 people coming over a five to six day period as an audience member. So getting tickets. So if you want a ticket, you generally wrote to me. Um, having products that we will partner with the artist because let's say you're coming on the show and you love working with brand X of Fusible, I will then contact the Fusible manufacturer, see if they will have it as something as a giveaway and we offer those to the audience. And so there's a lot of that that's going on as well as just dealing um, with the artists coming and going. So we will have over the course of five days about 12 to 15 people coming through, bringing quilts, bringing demo things, um, being nervous about being on the show. Uh, so it's a lot of organizing, figuring out where's everyone gonna be, where we're gonna stash everything, where's the audience gonna stay. Oh, by the way, what are we having for lunch today? That's always, a, that's always one of the early questions. Um, and, um, and, and so everything that is involved with putting on a production. And like I said, it's very much like a wedding, lots and lots of moving parts, but I, really love both aspects of the job. Um, when I get really tired of doing editor work, it's usually right around time to start taping. And then when I've been in the studio for about seven days, um, 12 to 14 hour days, I'm about ready to go back home and be quiet for, for um, you know, a few months. So, but it is a, it is a great, um, great job and I really do enjoy it uh, tremendously. Well, and you know, um, I think in some ways our jobs are a little similar um, I don't often have to jump in and do kind of the wedding planner role, although from time to time I have had to. Um, but one of the things that I think is like the biggest perks of my job is that I get to meet so many amazingly creative people. Like, do you feel like you share that kind of same perk? I do. That is, that is for me, one of the big perks. Um, because over the years I have met people that for me were sort of 
oh, you know, you just get so excited, <laughs> but you have to keep it all calm. Like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. Come on in. And inside I'm all, you know, excited. Um, and there are, there have been some really amazing people that I have met. I have become friends with quite a number of these um, individuals that I would never, I think, meet at, at, a, at a regular quilt show, just walking down the aisles. And that has definitely been a perk um, as part of the job. But also, it's, I think, also those developing friendships and sharing of information, sharing of you know, techniques and tips that work for them. I may not make the work exactly the way that they do, but they'll, there's always something in every show that I learn. I think, oh, wow, I would not have thought of trying this or that or what have you. And that's the nice thing about being in this big quilt guild where everyone is, is sharing and, and, and giving of themselves, which um, I haven't found necessarily in other organizations I've been in. And I love that about quilters. Well, and so um, this is a little bit of a leading question but it's because I know the answer on my own part, but how has being around that many people who do so many different creative things differently informed like what you do in your downtime? Uh, well, I will tell you, after leaving six days of taping, my brain is about to explode because I have so many ideas. I've, I've been around and, oh, I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that. And then I get home and I realize, wait, 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 there's no way I'm going to have time to do all of them. Um, it definitely has influenced my work. I will say I don't have a great deal of time to quilt. I, I really am pretty much working full time. And so my weekends would be the only time that I would have to do any kind of creative work. Um, so I have, as far as what I've learned, I've been, I've branched out. I don't buy a lot of products generally, and I'm not a super big gadget girl, but when I do see a value in that, gadget, I will go and get that or that product. And, and uh, for example, I was working on a quilt two years ago for a wedding and it, I was really out of my comfort zone. We were doing it in silk. I was going to paint on it and I was going to quilt on it. And that really made me a little bit nervous because I didn't want to make a mistake. Once you've sewn into silk, you, the hole is there forever. And so I really reached out to a lot of the quilters that I knew that worked in different kinds of mediums to ask them, okay, this is what I'm doing. What do you recommend? And, and it really was very, very helpful because I tried a lot of things that I was not familiar with. I did make a lot of samples because I wanted to test on the extra fabric before I actually got onto the quilt itself. Um, so yes, I would say branching out into areas that I'm not, that I would not have gone in uh, before because I'd seen so many of the shows and the different techniques people have shared. Yeah, it's definitely uh, influenced me. Well, do you ever find that your tastes get so eclectic because, and this happens to me at work because I see proposals that span so many different genres and looks and, you know, new two are really the same in that I've got something super cute and kind of, you know, Japanese inspired over here. And like, maybe if I put crayons on my fabric, it would look really cool over here and everything in between. Like, do you ever find that you just look at your stuff and you go, I have no single look like I, yeah. Um, I would, I would say that doesn't happen too often. 
I will try smaller quilts with different things, but I tend to stick pretty much with what I have. And, and as you can probably tell from behind me, this is not my work, by the way. This is uh, Pam Shaw. Uh, I'm sorry, Ann Shaw. Um, I do love color and pattern and texture. And so that is what appeals to me, Hex, except in my office. My office, because I need to be able to focus, I tend to keep things very, very minimal. So the walls are creamy white and most of the furniture is white and any sort of big bold color is behind me so that I don't have that distraction. The rest of the house, that's another story. There's, there's color and there's pattern and texture. Um, and so um, what I'm in, influenced by is adding different kinds of ways to add that pattern and texture. So whether that's adding beads on top or whether that's including embroidery or crochet or other kinds of things, that's what I get excited about. And then I definitely get influenced by, yeah, absolutely. But am I going to go and hand piece and hand quilt something? No, I learned early on, I, that didn't move fast enough for me and I don't have enough years ahead of me to finish that quilt. So <laughs> that, I, I stick with what I know I can complete. I hear you. Yeah, that would be, that would be a nice strategy maybe to employ. Um, right, right. And, well, and going back to the quilt show just a little bit, something that you said made me wonder about this is that in a regular year, with the taping, it's already like a three ring circus. Yes. This year has been particularly challenging. And so how have you guys managed to keep the wheels on the bus? So this is a five, five ring circus this year. <laughs> um, it, it has definitely been challenging, but early on we had a meeting to try to figure out, okay, what, what can we do? Because obviously we still need to uh, create content and so what we decided was that we would do some shows in the studio with no audience and with very minimal uh, amount of staff uh, crew that we would work with. Normally the crew is somewhere between 20 to 25 people. And, okay. and a lot of us you don't necessarily see because of the background, but they are there in the building. And, and then we also have volunteers that help with the help me with the with the uh, audience that comes in and so there's a there's a fair number of people that are moving about on a daily basis and we did a taping in march and we had alex didn't come john didn't come the people that had to fly in didn't come and so we had mostly people from texas and we had people that were able to drive in and studio does have the benefit that the ceilings are incredibly large. They usually have very good air conditioning systems, but we still wanted to keep it as minimal as possible. Everyone wore a mask. We did all the health precautions like most uh, organizations, daily temperature check, all that sort of thing. Um, so it did have a different feel because with having a live audience, you get people laughing, you have cackling, you have gasps. And so that was slightly different. And then also just wearing a mask and talking for 10, 12 hours a day was another thing we were concerned about. Would people to be able to hear us with a mask on while we're talking? Um, but that didn't seem to be a, a, a negative. We, we had a workaround on that. Um, the other thing that we did was that because 
we did a, a, a three-day taping in Dallas. We wanted to have Alex do a taping out in California, out in her area. And so what we did there was I did logistics from afar. I didn't go out there, but there were several of the people on our crew um, that came out and we did a lot of it in Alex's backyard under a tent. Uh, she did it in her living room. We tried as much as possible to have them outside just for health reasons. And, and so it was a little bit of a, as you said, juggling three ring circus, but it, it, we made it managed to make it work and it wasn't ideal, but it's still, we had three um, days that worked out really, really well in the studio. And then the three days with, with Alex, um, it's not ideal, but we knew we wanted to still present some content for our audience. The other thing that we did was that we decided that we would make what we call master classes. So we found, um, uh, and don't quote me on this, but we found a number of shows that were all within one theme. So we did a whole master uh, two classes on piecing. So we did, you know, all the best piecing techniques that we that we felt we wanted to share. Then we did a master two master classes on applique because those are again something people really either struggle with or we want to show them. If you want to learn great techniques, here are half a dozen people that do it really really well. Um, and those have been really popular also because it is the best of the best, let's say, or the, the ones that we were able to grab and present it all in one show so that you could really get immersed in that particular kind of technique. We don't necessarily want to do that long term over and over, but it was a way for us to fill out our calendar so that we could then um, have some time to then go into the uh, new year and hopefully get in the studio. This year, we're also not going to, I should say in 2020, we would have had a legend show where we highlight someone that has been very influential in the quilt industry. Obviously due to COVID, we were not able to do that. So what we did was we did a, a legends masterclass. All the legends we've had over 13 years, we did a little mini visit to the show and then demos from um, three of the shows. Um, so that's been our workaround um, this year, but it's not been easy. It's definitely not. <laughs> well, no, and it's really, um, I found it really great to just see how flexible people have been and how adaptive they've been and being yes. able to look at trying to do something differently. And you've got a lot of sewers and quilters out there who are new, um, who got a little sick of making masks about halfway through the year. Absolutely. Um, and they probably loved having those classes kind of curated for them. Absolutely. And we, uh, we also uh, decided to do what we call, what they're called Facebook Lives. So three days a week, Alex is coming on for 25 minutes uh, and it's purposely very upbeat. So there's nothing political, there's nothing health. It's really feel good 30 minutes, three days a week where she's sharing pictures of quilts that people have made on the projects that they've worked on. Um, she's found funny, funny things that have happened in, you know, like at Easter, you know, people put had bunnies and they had masks on them. I mean, just to really make it a fun light, but also some education. So three days a week, and she's been doing that since March. 
And that has been also another something that has worked out really well for us. We came on very early and we have people all over the world that are watching. Now they may not be watching it live because their time frame is slightly different, but they are definitely there. They're um, also really enjoying, as you said, the teaching and she's keeping it fairly straightforward and simple, which is good for a lot of, as you said, the newer quilters um, that are coming on. Yeah. So between those couple of things, it's been busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's almost busier than usual. It is uh, because it's a lot of shifting, um, you know, uh, people that we thought we were going to have in taping in August couldn't come. We had, uh, we had four international artists coming and we were so excited about having them. And of course that got shut down. So then it was, okay, let's see who can we find. Then people were either getting sick or they were concerned about getting sick. And, and so it was uh, a lot of shuffling of names around and trying to figure out who can come and, and when and how's it going to work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, at least now you have this whole huge pool of talent who wasn't <laughs> able to be on this year that can come right. on in future years. Yes. And we did tell them that we said, you know, just because you can't come doesn't mean you ever can't come before. So we'll just keep you in the kitty and I'll just keep circling back to see when it's going to be convenient. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about how your book came about because it's, it's a little peek behind the curtain for people who don't really know much about book publishing. Um, and so you, I'm kind of going way back to the beginning. Right. Um, so you more than I think anyone I've ever met has had to redo your studio so many times. Like how many times do you think you've had to set up a new studio? Well, I hate to even call it a studio. I should just call it a space where I could work. There you go. Um, but we were in the military for over 20 years. And typically, we moved every two years. And uh, for those who have never been in the military, generally, the housing is not large. Uh, as, you, as you move along in years, you get subsequently larger homes if you're living on base. But most of the time, you don't. And and so my space changed at least 15 times because we moved 15 times over 20, 20 years. And then that doesn't count once I moved to the United States. Um, and so oftentimes my space was in the corner of the bedroom. It was uh, at one point actually a small walk-in closet that I utilized. And then I sewed on the, or I cut on the dining room table um, another time it was a guest bedroom. I was able to, we had a larger house that we were renting and it came with a downstairs apartment. And so I commandeered that bedroom and said, that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it has gone, it's generally went from large to small, large to small. It just depended on where we were going. And I never knew what the space was going to be until I actually walked in the door because most of the moves were to places that we had not been. This is pre-internet, so there weren't any pictures of the house to look at. And it was more of we walked in and then, you know, we figured out, okay, priorities, kids' bedrooms, this is theirs, this is ours, and then and then we'll figure out the rest of the, the house. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, is that experience then, um, what kind of gave you the impetus, I guess, to write that blog series for the quilt show on organizing your space? It, it somewhat was. I will also say that a lot of it was meeting quilters 
over the years at the at the shows, at the tapings, or at uh, when we were at Quilt Festival or something like that. And just, you know, in general, sort of having conversation with people and they would just say, oh, you know, I, I love working, but I have a real difficult time. I can't find anything or I've got to take this pile and move it over here so I can work here. And then when I want to go work here, I have to move this pile over there. Um, and so these are just little things that would come up periodically and also I, with military wives or anyone that moves a great deal, let's say it's your job that moves you around, um, you're sort of forced into figuring out how am I going to make this work? I'm not here for the next 25 years. I'm here for two years. And, and, uh, and so I've got to figure out how I can do it so that I can, I can crochet or I can knit or I can sew clothing, what have you. And, um, Oftentimes I was in someone else's house and I would see their idea and I'd say, oh, that's a great suggestion. One wife had taken um, chest of drawers and she had made that her space for all of her things. And so the chest of drawers just sat out in the room, but it was filled not with clothes. It was filled with all her um, sewing and quilting supplies. Wow. And, you know, I, I stole a lot of those ideas. Uh, oftentimes when we moved, we didn't have our own furniture. We only had a few bits of furniture we were allowed to take. And so everyone had, uh, it's not rental, we weren't renting it, but they provided it, but it was all the same thing. And it was very interesting to see how people utilized what was designed for one purpose and they changed it out to use for something else. I also didn't come to quilting until about 1989. So I was fairly new at that point, but definitely I was always sewing. I always had fabric. I always had scissors and irons and all of those sorts of things that I had to figure out where to implement. Another wife I knew actually sewed in the, uh, in the laundry room. That was the only space she had. She used the washer and dryer and put a board on top and that became her cutting surface. And then the cabinets that were in there that had all of her fabrics and other things. You know, you just have to make do. Um, when, when there isn't a lot of space. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm actually hiding all of my piles behind me. Um, oh. well, and so this is kind of pulling the curtain back a little bit yeah. in giving some more background information. So people who don't know, book publishers don't just get proposals and think, yeah, this would make a great book. Let's do it. Um, we also look around for trends. What do people want to hear about? What are the questions that we're getting? Um, what are the questions people are talking about online? And we'll target a book topic and say, we really, really want to do a book on this. But then my job is to go out and find an author. And um, uh -huh. so we knew we wanted to do a book on organizing. Um, it was just time to do another one. We'd had one, but it was kind of aging out. And I really wanted a fresh take. And so I start poking around and lo and behold, here's this big, nice, lovely blog series on organizing. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, and that's how we kind of started talking, uh, which was great. And so that's where really got, what got the ball rolling on the book. You were like, wait, you want me to do what? <laughs> right. I, I mean, because the doing the blog was, it was a lot of work, but um, it was also, I learned a lot because I interviewed a lot of the artists that we've had on the show and I knew, oh, so-and-so paints and so-and-so does beading because that's not necessarily what I do. And so I sent out all these sort of questionnaires and said, hey, 
what do you what do you have to store? Because I got the basics down. Now when we're starting to store other types of things for painting, like I said, or beading or adding paper, um, I wasn't I wasn't sure how they did that. So I asked for a lot of you know uh, input from them. And the internet was fairly good, but I will tell you, Pinterest was a black hole. I spent way too many hours on Pinterest because I really wanted to find the original source who had posted the original, you know, idea so that I could give them credit. Um, but yes, that, that was a lot of fun. And it also really taught me a lot of really creative ideas that people out there were coming up with that were not necessarily expensive. They were they were great workarounds. Um, and so, yes, when your phone call came and you said that you would like to have me write the book, I, I was definitely, uh, very flattered, but also very surprised. It wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, but it worked. It all worked out. Um, yes. and I know you, so you had that blog series, you've got your personal experience, you've got all the people on the show you've talked to and met throughout the years, but then you also ended up going into the creative space of a number of different people. Like how many did you end up visiting? Uh, for the book, I visited six studios and I didn't physically go to all of them. Um, but to back up just a little bit, you know, when you initially, when you asked me to write the book, you said, we'd like it to be for quilting and sewing. And when I was thinking about it, I realized, well, I have a friend that knits. I have a friend that quilts and, and does beading. And then I have a friend who does, you know, quilting and beading and embroidery and, you know, all of it. And I thought, there are quilters out there that do more than just the quilting. I think the book should have been a, a little bit of a broader reach. And so that's why I covered a lot more in the book. Um, and so when going to the studios, I wanted to try to include all of those forms in a, at least one studio if I could. And so several of them, as I said, were here in the United States. So I was able to go physically to their studio and I knew these folks um, and so I already had an idea of what I wanted to photograph and how I wanted to show it. Uh, but then uh, several people recommended to me uh, an embroidery artist that lives in Tokyo, Japan. And she has literally her studio is a tabletop. And I don't know her. I've not met her. We've, you know, corresponded via email, but she was very nice. I told her what I was doing and she sent me photos of her of her space. Same thing with the artist in France who like my aesthetic loves pattern and color and layer, but hers is with crochet, knitting, beading and quilting. So she sort of layers all of those. And I also reached out to her and she was very, very nice to send me, to make, and send me images. So some of them I went to and some I went to virtually, <laughs> which was, you know, was, was wonderful. And I think they all were very different studios. So it can show you that based on, your aesthetic, your, the kind of work you do means that your studio really is unique to you. It's not a, it's not like going, um, and it's a one size fits all situation. It's sort of like buying a bathing suit. You know, your bathing suit isn't going to fit my body or her body. You've got to figure out what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I agree with you. I don't know many crafters who do just one thing. They're kind I, of the absolutely. rare birds. <laughs> I, I think we're sort of squirrel. We kind of say, oh, oh, look, that looks really fun. Let's try that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit too much. I actually pared down the number of crafts I do just because I ran out of space. <laughs> 
Uh, that is that is true because then the more you bring in, the more you're going to have to figure out how to store it all. Absolutely. So um, I do try to limit myself um, to quilting and sewing garments, which is my my first love. Um, but then I have now, after 35 or 40 years, I've gotten back into crochet, and so now I'm starting to have to deal with oh, all those lovely squishy balls of yarn. Where are they going to go? Yeah, well, they're right over there. But no. <laughs> Out of sight. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're actually in a cabinet. I'm, I redid my studio recently. So, um, but so what in, in visiting all of these like really great spaces by these fabulous people who make wonderful things, like what was the thing that struck you the most? Um, well, each one, as I said, really has its own personality. It's like going to a quilt store. Every quilt store has its own personality based on the owner, the, the buyer, that sort of thing. And so a quilt studio is the same way. And so for example, Susan Cleveland is one of the um, studios that we visited and she really likes a very clean, sleek and not very busy studio. And so that was her space. She kept everything incredibly calm. The wall color was this sort of very subtle gray. The cabinetry was all white. And the only color was the pops of her quilts that she had put around. And being an engineer, she wanted things that were very uh, purposeful. Uh, they weren't just gonna be random tchotchkes sitting around. Um, but she also came up with some really clever ideas. So for example, her huge cutting table, uh, excuse me, pressing table is actually four kitchen cabinets that she repurposed. They bought they bought the house that they were in and the kitchen cabinetry they didn't particularly like because it was, I think the build was almost finished. And so they took that cabinetry out. They were gonna put it in the garage and then she decided, wait, I could use four of those cabinets, put them all together into a square, paint them and then put my tabletop surface on and either make it a cutting table or an ironing surface. And so she was utilizing what they were going to pull out of the kitchen anyway, which I thought was a, a really clever idea. Um, she also had several other kinds of tools that I hadn't thought about. Uh, you know, a table that raises up and down has a hydraulic lift in it so that she wasn't always sitting all the time when she's working. And so it got forced her to get up and stand up and move about. Nola Emery, which I know a lot of people have probably, if they, you know, quilters, they probably heard of her. She was a very uh, busy, athletic individual. I don't think she ever sat still. She was always scuba diving, climbing mountains, running um, marathons, that sort of thing. And she had a massive stroke when she was scuba diving. She was not a quilter at all, but through her uh, recovery, she just couldn't sit still and she wanted to do something and she was determined to become a quilter. And uh, she was the, lost the use of her right hand and she was right-handed. So not only did she have to learn how to use a left hand, but she also had to figure out the things that we normally do with two hands in quilting. How, is, how am I going to do that with just one hand? And for me, that is just amazing because she admits that she is stubborn. She will work until she can figure out a way to be able to do something. And she does, uh, she knits with one hand, she quilts, she works on a long arm, 
And she has some really, really amazing and very simple ways of overcoming the disability that she has now to still be able to spend, she spends eight hours downstairs in her, in her studio every day. Um, wow. Which is That's, just, that is amazing. Yes. And, and there was another woman that I met who was in her nineties and had um, macular degeneration and she was a quilter and she showed me some of her early quilts, which were all hand applique, beautiful, highly detailed work. But at 90, she was really not able to do that type of work anymore. But instead of just sitting on the couch and, you know, watching TV or looking out the window, she had figured out a way that she could still quilt. She would cut out fabric and she would just um, tie that. So was it the kind of work that she did 30, 40 years ago? No, but she was still excited. She went in there every day, cut out fabric, played with it. She even sewed with it on the sewing machine with the use of a of a, an eraser, a nice big eraser. And she sewed very, very slowly, but she got it done. And I think that is, for me, was so, so encouraging to see people who are just not saying, I'm just gonna quit because I can't do it anymore, but figuring out a way, a workaround to be able to still go in and play and create. Well, and um, I, I find that, and I remember you telling me some of these stories when we were talking about the book concept. And so some of that worked its way into the book and, and I'll right. touch on that in a bit. But my biggest question is after writing the book and visiting all these studios, did you go reorganize your studio again? <laughs> well, the, I, I grabbed some of the ideas from other people. Um, definitely. Um, there, there were a number of things that I wanted to incorporate into my space as well. And, and like most people, your space is always evolving. It's not going to just stay static because it works for you for right now. But then in five years, let's say like me, I've now started crocheting again. So now I've got that to contend with. Or in my case, in the house that I moved in, it wasn't my dream house, but I, I really love it. And budget-wise, I couldn't afford to come in and just change everything all at one time. And so I've been slowly changing things as I've been going along. And so with some of the ideas of things that I've seen from other people, I'll say, oh, okay, all right. Next thing I'd like to do is get rid of the lights that I have, the track lights that create a lot of heat, but they've worked great for the last 20 years. I want to replace those with the flat panels that I saw Heidi Profetti had in her studio because they're very sleek, they're flat and they're LED. And so they won't be visible on the ceiling because they're, they sort of blend in with the white ceiling. Um, I'd like to add those. The carpeting that came with the house that I moved in is not my favorite. It's beige. And as you can tell from my sweater, I'm not a beige kind of girl <laughs> and it's rumpling and it's hard to roll around on. So that's the next thing I'd like to do. I, I live with fur friends. So I want to be able to roll around. And I also want to be able to sweep up fur or anything else that's on the floor. <laughs> and whether I'm here for the next, you know, 10, 20 years, having a floor that's not, um, carpeted will make it easier let's say if i have to transition and i have i don't know maybe a knee surgery and mm -hmm. maneuvering a wheelchair on a flat surface is easier than on a carpeted surface um, so those are things to also kind of consider yeah well i, laugh yeah, I have made some changes <laughs> yeah i'm laughing because i currently have the unvacuumable 
beige carpet. <laughs> oh, okay. Probably the same person that did the designing in my house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So thread, thread will be there forever. Um, and so for anyone who's thinking about making a dedicated creative space or, um, who has a space, but really love to change it up a bit, like what is the number one mistake that you think people make when they dive in? Um, I think probably the biggest mistake that they make is that they think they need to have everything that they ever are going to need in the space that they're in. So one of the topics that I have in the book is called the circle of reach. And so think of yourself as the center of the bullseye and things that you need every day, the tools that you work out, that should be something within you know, in easy arms reach. That needs to be that close. And then you work further out. So let's say, for example, I've been working on a quilt for the last, I don't know, four months. Do I need all that batting right now in my room? No, probably not. That batting could live somewhere else, especially if you if your room is small. Um, some of the other, like 300 quilt books that I have, they were in my office when I first moved in here. And then I realized, I hardly ever go look at the books. They're there as reference, so I like having them, but I don't need them every day. I'm not, I'm not accessing them every single day. So I discovered there is a linen closet down the hall that I wasn't really filling up. So I found another place for the linens that were there, and I've now moved my 300 books down the hall. I can still get them because they're you know, a few steps away, but what it did is it opened up space in my studio to then allow me to have the things that I really want to have all the time. I wanted a dedicated place to iron. I wanted a dedicated place to cut out. Before, when I had all my books in here, I, I had to find some random little spot or I had to bring the ironing board in, which was made it even more difficult. So <laughs> I think that's one of the things people need to really look at is what is it that you really uh, need to have closest to you and have that as close as you can, and then work your way out based on how often you're going to need those items. Um, and so that is, besides that, we mostly have way too much fabric. We're going to have, we have more fabric than we're ever going to use in our lifetime. Um, but yeah, that's probably the thing I would say is you don't have to have everything right out around you all the time, especially if it's something you don't use all the time. You know, the funny thing is, is, is you listed the three things that I can see right now. In my <laughs> I am like here, I'm touching my ironing board. <laughs> right. Because you use it all the time. And you, and you know, at your cutting station, you want your cutting things nearby. And at my desk, I want my tape dispenser and my calendar. And, and so, you know, it, think of it in that sense, whatever you're using the most, that should be the closest and then work out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so what's the one thing that re that you think can really make a space? Like what, what turns it from, this is a place that's okay to go get some stuff done to this is like the best place in my house. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think personalizing it, personalizing the space to be whatever your personality is. So, um, you know, you know what makes you happy. Some people, you know, their favorite color is orange. So maybe it's that you paint one wall orange and then you have other pops of orange in, in the room. Um, I like, as I said, because of the way I work, I prefer something that's cleaner. It's less distracting and busy for me so I can focus on my work. Um, other people really get 
much more energized by having their work, other people's work they have collected, inspiration, magazine clippings. I mean, so think about what is good for you, what gets you excited, what would be a place that you would love to come and visit. If it's, do you want to create the look of a quilt store with your fabric that's out so that you come in and you can pet it every day as you're walking over to the table? Or do you want to have it behind a closet somewhere so that you can focus on the project that you have? It's really more about discovering your own personality and what you, uh, what makes you happy. Do you like to spend time uh, sitting down and, and reading through magazines or books to get inspired. Bring in a nice comfy chair, put a lamp nearby, um, you know, a place to put a cup of tea or coffee or what have you. I mean, so those are the kinds of things that make your space not just a clinical office type of place where we're coming in and we're working. We're not in a sweatshop. Uh, this is a place that we, we want to get up and say, oh my gosh, I've got an hour and I want to run in and I want to work on, you know, this and that project that I've started because I've got one hour and I'm going to have a good time. And so besides having, you know, all the necessary things that you need in there, make it also represent your personality. Um, so that, that definitely I want to um, say would probably be the big thing to making it your own space. Yeah. Um, and so you've, you've, done tons of digging, tons of research, tons of your own moves. You've seen all these different people in studios. And so what is the one like thing or product or concept that you think is just aces? Okay. Well, I have two. Oh, okay. I so couldn't win on that. Well, I have way more than that, but right. <laughs> a, a two I thought about. Okay. So the, the things that I probably could not do without are three PM command hooks. <laughs> I mean, they come in everything. And if you're not familiar with command hooks, they are, um, it's like, I don't want to say repositionable, but they're, they're hooks that you can put on the wall and they have a sort of a sticky like band-aid type of ad adhesive. And when you don't want it anymore, you can gently pull it off and it will remove from the wall and it doesn't leave any marks. So you don't have to nail holes in things. Um, they come in all different sizes. This is a jumbo one. This one we use on our back door to hang the masks so we don't forget to take a mask in the car oh, with us. That's clever. Uh, another, and so you can hang, this one will hold, I think they come in different weights. I think this one will hold seven pounds. So look at the, the brand, I mean, the size, and it will tell you how, what weight it will hold. But the other thing that command hooks also can do is these, for example, these are, this is a mega pack and it is for hanging pictures. So let's say you're in an apartment or you're in a rental and you, again, you don't wanna put a lot of holes in the walls. This will allow you to hang pictures up, same type of thing. It's got the sticky with the um, Velcro-like teeth and you snap it to the back of the picture. And when you're ready to leave, you're ready to move, what have you, maybe you don't like where the pictures are, you can pull it off and there's no damage to the wall. <clears throat> Command hooks can also be used to hang up D design walls. So think of you, you need a design wall, you can go get some foam core, uh, foam insulation at the hobby uh, hardware store, wrap it in some um, felt and with duct tape, and then you put command hooks on the wall and uh, it's not even actually a hook. It's just this same, same process. 
Mm-hmm. And you can mount it on the wall. So you can have panels based on the size that you need. I mean, so that is one that I could not do without. I hang all kinds of stuff. I hang tools on the side of cabinetry. Um, I hang little little gadgets. I've hung baskets on the inside of my closet doors with them. Um, yeah, command hooks. I wish I'd bought um, some money in, in that. The other one that I recently learned while I was doing my research, I had never, <clears throat> I had never seen this before, but it's a company called Kit Exchange. And the idea came from a woman who uh, didn't want to have all her jewelry sloshing around in a container. And so she had these little, little um, Ziploc bags. And then she thought, well, you know, jewelry would be great, but what about jewelry finding and beads and things? And so what she designed are these uh, little Ziploc bags with this special kind of, a, it is a Velcro, but the sticky is what's the kicker. And you put it on a board that has the, the loopy sort of the soft side and it, and you just stick it on. So you can pull and put these things on. So instead of having beads like I've had for years in the little dishes with the cubbies, well, every time you move, the movers slosh that thing around, you come back, then you spend 1700 hours sorting all the beads again. Mm -hmm. This doesn't matter. It does not matter how they slosh that around. Um, They also come with these holes in it. So you can put it in in a binder, which they have. And the binder comes in lovely colors. So you could put this on a shelf. You've got multiple, you can hold hundreds and hundreds of beads in this. If you don't want to do a binder, they come up with something recently that I thought was also clever. <clears throat> if you have an old filing cabinet, go ahead and ups- upcycle a filing cabinet. You've got the filing cabinet hooks and you can hang this. And then the labels also come off. So you oh, can wow. say, okay, it's my blue beads, it's my green beads, it's my fasteners, what have you. Um, with this, you can also, there's a, they've got several, like a notebook that you can take with you. So let's say you've got a class, <laughs> you can put this inside your folder with the beads that you're gonna need for your class with your tools, and then you take it off with you. You come back, you pull them out, resort them. It, to me, that has been, um, definitely a lifesaver because now I don't have all those little beads sloshing around anymore. And it's, <laughs> and it's pretty. You can put it up on the shelf. It comes in a whole bunch range of different colors and you can get as, uh, you know, you can buy individual pieces as you want. So yeah, those, those are the two things that I would say are my big takeaways this year. <laughs> well, you're definitely speaking my language because over my shoulder, you can see my vintage embroidery hoops. Yes. You're on a command hook. Uh, right, right. I did notice that when I was when you got up, <laughs> went out of the room. Well, and there's um, anybody who does jewelry making and beading, and that's it's one of my main crafts. I love doing it. And at some point, you will drop your beads, and you will spend the seventeen hundred hours resorting them all out. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and so when I saw that at a trade show, I just thought that was was brilliant. Um, there's also a board that you can get that um, comes as a, as a zippered sort of a big flat pouch it has a nice little lip around the working surface so that the beads don't roll off and then the zipper folds back so you don't get it caught on whatever you're working on and again it looks like a tablet that you're carrying plus a pouch so it's very portable (laughs) you can have it at home and then when you go to a class you can take it with you excuse me got Mm -hmm. a frog in my throat i hear you it always happens when you're in the middle of recording something um (laughs) 
yeah. fun the rest of the day. Um, the other thing that I really, cause like, I love to organize things. They don't stay that way. Cause you know, it's three circles of chaos a week later, but I love to organize it. Um, one thing that I thought was really genius is that in your book, you recommend documenting your projects. Yes. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one, because right now, I, my, my uh, attention span this year seems to have just gone into the toilet. And so <clears throat> trying to remember, now, what did I buy that for? And what was I going to make with that? Um, I mean, I've done this for quite a while, but definitely this year, I just thought, okay, I need to do that. Other people need to do that. I've seen the idea that was suggested when we have our block of the month is create a, create a notebook so that you have all your fabric samples that you're going to have. You're going to have any other products that you're going to need. So it keeps you kind of organized. But I just designed something really simple. I mean, this is not a big deal thing. This is something that is a Word document. So I, I just have the basics on there. You know, what is the project? Put the name on there. And then what size am I going to make it? Um, and then I just took a photograph of the, the quilt itself. So I would remember what it was. And then I also pulled out pieces of fabric that I plan on using in the quilt so that it would remind me. And then I just stick this in a notebook. But then you can also have this with along with this reference, then you I would think also want to organize the things together either in a Ziploc bag or in some kind of a container, whether it's a snap lid plastic, so that you have all the things that are for that together. So when you are going in and starting, and it may be six months, a year, two years down the road, you're not having to go look for that one special border fabric that you bought seven years ago that you were planning on using it, and you can't find it. Because I've done that. You know, I've, I've started a project, it got pushed away, then I started it again, and I spent two hours looking for the border fabric. And I thought, okay, I've got to come up with something else. And the same thing, I, you can do this for knitting projects you can do it for crochet it's the same kind of process you know this one i made for um the project that i was working on it has the name it has the label of the yarn that i'm doing i have my pattern on the back that i've colored on so that it's all kind of together to remind me oh what is it i'm doing and um where is it what size needle am i using that's the other that's the other thing because you may come in and especially with quilting. Well, the pattern says it is, it offers three different sizes. And do you remember what amount of fabric you bought, what size you were planning? Was this going to be a lap quilt or was this going to be a king size quilt? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you may not remember several years down the road because life happens, things get in the way and, and you may have to set it aside for a while. So I think the other thing to document on your, on your organizer thing pages is where did you leave off? Because oh. when the weather turns, I do this all the time. I can't tell you how many knitting projects I have, but the weather, weather gets warm and you think, I just can't hold this yarn anymore. Like it's just right. too warm. Then going back to it in the fall or the winter, you go, I don't know where I left off. Oh, that's a good tip. Oh, that's a good tip. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, I, now I do have a little, I have a little hanger or bead hanger that I put to remind me what size needle or what size crochet hook because I don't like to leave that on the piece because A, I only have one crochet hook in that size and I might use it for something else, but it also stretches out as a knitter. You probably know this, it, it'll stretch the work out. Um, but yeah, I hadn't thought about, oh, Mark, where you stopped on the date. 
because mm-hmm. it could be months later, like you said. <laughs> Nobody wants Lots to knit with wool on their lap in the summertime. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we actually have some fun planners for that now. So I'll have to send you a couple um, just because oh, I think you'll really like them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, and I, um, so staying on the topic of organizing, and I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I think is interesting, and I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but I'll, okay. I'll make it fast. So at <laughs> work, we recently switched software platforms. And it's a whole new thing. It's a whole new world. And it's it's great, but it's allowed us especially to work seamlessly from home. And this year, that's been a, a lifesaver for all of us. Um, but what I find really interesting is how some of the tools work really well to sort of for somebody to feel organized, to know where they are with different things. Those same tools will drive another person absolutely batty. Like, so how does the way you think play into organizing your space? Are you meaning uh, now that we're all virtually working? Even in your creative space, like, because I know some people like to have everything in front of them and things kind of condensed. And then other people, like you said, with the fabric, you need to see it all. Like, Like, how does knowing how your mind organizes things help you kind of figure uh, out your space? Well, um, I would say that with everything transitioning to being, you know, lots of Zoom meetings or other forms of that sort, um, what I discovered again was before everything was sort of clean and minimal on the desk other than what I needed. And, and now it's, I've got the laptop and instead of it being down below it has to be up high then i've got you know what is propping up the laptop well earlier it was a stack of books and some other things and then it's i also had to have a light which was on the desk and it just felt like i felt very claustrophobic after a while that there was just all of this stuff that i needed to have because we're now in a different setting it all needed to be on my desk but it was really just in my vision constantly. And so what I decided was, okay, what is, I can't move a lot of this, I have to have it. So how can I change this so that it won't be quite so distracting? Um, My laptop used to be covered with a colored cover. Well, I removed that. So now it's just the color of the laptop, which is silvery color, that helped. Instead of having the stack of multicolored books, I I went and found a white, I don't even know what, it's a food container of some sort, um, shoebox, what have you. And I put that underneath. So that is the same color as the desk. So that cleans that up. And then the file system that I always have had right in front of me that was always colored files because the color meant something. I realized, again, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that out of the corner of my eye and that's really bothering me. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go with a white file, stacking file system, and the files are going to be white. And so the only way I distinguish them is just what's written on them. And I was really surprised how just those few little things really made all of this gear that's now in front of me at my desk almost disappear because the walls are somewhat white, the desk is white, And all this gear was pretty much white. It's still there, but it's not fighting for my attention while I'm trying to be in the middle of a meeting or a presentation. And for me, that really helped a great deal. 
Um, and for others, that might be the same thing is, is that there's so much technology that's now in the desk area that maybe making it all sort of disappear as much as you can is the best uh, and easiest way. And, and we're not talking you have to do a lot of expense. I think I got the food tray at Ikea for $3. So it's just sort of look at, is there a way that you can kind of clean that surface if that's really bothering you right now? And how can you do that? And it could be something simple like just changing out the color. Now, I won't tell you how difficult it was to find the food coloring uh, place because the other difficulty I found is that right now everything's very difficult to get. You know, right. it's either not available or it's in, in back order. Um, white, I, who would have thought white file folders would be that difficult to find? <laughs> They're not easy to find. I had to order them online. I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll go to the store, the office supply store. They had every color under the rainbow, but not white. <clears throat> but I thought, no, I'm gonna, I got to go with white. Um, and so this is also, I've been in an office situation at home for uh, almost 15 years now. And so transitioning in that way hasn't been difficult at all. It's pretty much been the same, same thing that I've had for the longest time. Um, but um, eking out your own space, if you can, that, that uh, really, really helps. Um, but that's, I, I'm blessed I don't have little children around and I'm trying to homeschool as well. I know we're getting off topic, sorry. Uh, it's always the topic, right? <laughs> so is that what you were, is that what you were kind of um, going after? Yeah, kind of. Um, I was I was more kind of thinking like, um, how does the way your mind organize things? How should that inform how you organize like, like your quilting stuff or your your? Beat? Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay, so for example, if um, I like things to be um, in in their place, but not necessarily out, and so let's say if it's in a drawer. I'd like it to have a cubby and the cubby doesn't have to be something expensive um, because I'd rather spend money on tools and fabric than I would on fancy little boxes that organize in the drawer. So I found things like um, salad containers. I, there's a, at the grocery store where I go, <clears throat> occasionally they'll have these prepared food items and they come in these little containers that are foil. Um, you can wash those out and I store my, binder clips in it, I store my threads in them. And so things don't slosh around in drawers quite so much. And for me, that's much more comforting to have it that way. Also, I was interviewing somebody recently that has um, ADD. And she said for her, it's really helpful that things are in their place, but that the container is clear so she can see what it is. And then she puts a label on it. And so for her, um, she has everything organized by whatever it, whatever it is, whether it's thread or fabrics or whatever. Uh, it's usually clear so that she can see it when she wants to access it. Other people, like you were saying, um, like things out and about. So it really is more of understanding where do you feel more comfortable? Do you want a, a, a le minimalist sort of a look, or do you like that vibrancy of things out to inspire you? And you should pretty well by most uh, of us know at this age, what do you get excited about? Do you get excited going into a studio where everything is in its place and you don't see a hair out of place and there's nothing out? Is that a place that you come in and say, oh, I love it. It's calm. It's serene. There's, um, 
there's just this um, level of everything is hidden away and I'm not distracted? Or do you come in and say, wow, this looks like the dentist's office. I'm just really not getting this good vibe in here. And you go into another another studio and they it's a riot of color and they've got an inspiration of art around and other kinds of elements and they've got all their tools out and they're beautiful because they're arranged you know the yellow to green to blue you know how they've got their tools sitting out or they've got their thread collection and it's almost like art on the wall you know if that when you go into that space and that really gets you energized that's probably how you should also set up your own space because you're, you're, you're getting all excited. You're ready to get in there and start cutting and, and ironing and putting things together. So uh, think about how you react when you, when you walk into um, either a studio or into a, a quilt store. Yeah. Well, and um, the other thing you and I talked about a lot when we were first coming up with the concept for the book and what should be in it is um, we we felt it was pretty important that this be a, redo your creative space without breaking the bank um, book because most of us do have a budget when we do these things. Um, What's the one place you think people should splurge? Um, I think that you should splurge on buying the best quality tools that you can. Um, And also tools that if, if you're limited on a budget, tools that will do more than one thing. So my son was always getting irritated and saying, why do they have a banana slicer? You know, really? You can use a knife to slice bananas, but why would I buy this one thing? That's all it does is slice bananas. Um, And so if you're limited, look at something that might be able to give you several options. So let's say you, um, for an ironing surface, this is made by Steady Betty. And one side, <clears throat> one side is for your patchwork because the, the blocks will cling to this surface. But the other side is wool. So let's say you are working in, um, you know, you also are, like you said, you're a knitter or crocheter. You can block something on this. You can um, steam on this. It won't penetrate through. So it's one item. It only takes up one space, but it does two different things, which is um, really handy. It also has a little hole in it. So if you're able to hang it up, that's even better. Um, the, um, the company called By Annie, they make, a, they have patterns that allow you to customize and make your own kinds of organizing um, containers and bags and that sort of thing. And they have one that's called Take a Stand that they partner with. Um, running with scissors and so think of it as a little pup tent that you can set up and that's uh, running with scissors and it has slots that you put your scissors and your other tools on and you can set that up on your work table at home and then let's say you're going to go off for the weekend or you're going to get together down the road with some friends and you're going to have a quilt retreat you just take those two items you can pack them up together and then you move over to wherever you're going and set those up so again, you've got something that is, um, you've paid for it once, it's really handy and you can utilize it. Lighting, especially as we get a little older and we have to wear these, <laughs> lighting is something you're gonna spend a lot of money on. And, um, but you wanna get the best lighting that you can 
because if you can't see what you're doing, you're not going to have a good time or either it's going to be dangerous because you'll end up sewing over your fingers. And so my suggestion is there are always sales. So check for the sales at the shows. Um, if you have the advantage of driving to the show, oftentimes they'll even have a good discount if you just haul it away that day, because that means the manufacturer doesn't have to carry all that stuff back. Um, I would say definitely lighting is uh, something you'd want to spend some money on. You can go less expensive with all kinds of other, other ways, like big pieces of furniture. Um, you know, my, my sewing table is actually a, um, a wooden kitchen table that was at a yard sale that I just had a neighbor who happened to be a carpenter uh, cut out the opening so my sewing machine would sit flush in it. So, you know, you don't have to go out and buy a really expensive sewing table if that's not in your budget. Sort of think outside of the box. You can reuse other components. The idea being that if you are going to use other components, you might want to try to have a cohesive look. So paint is a great way to um, tie things together. I have cabinets in my studio that I, as well as lots of other people, because I see it, um, is Ikea. That's a place that has um, a number of great storage options that don't cost a great deal of money. And let's see, what's the other big thing? Save your money for your big machines. I mean, your sewing machines. Those are a big investment. Uh, your scissors, your rotary cutters, those are things um, I would say definitely are big investments and in, in budget for those and save money. And you can do fill in with the other things from thrift store, consignment store, uh, as your budget, you know, that are not as, ex as expensive. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Well, and we're, we're pretty much out of time okay. um, just because, you know, we <laughs> chat and it's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just wanted to ask you like, so what do you have coming up next? What do I have coming up next? Well, I was a part of the global quilt connection um, that was put together by Sue Blyweiss and Lyric Kennard. And um, I did a three minute pitch and I've been really, really pleased. I have a lot of lectures that I've got lined up in 2021. So I will be doing, um, uh, unfortunately, a, a Zoom format uh, because there's some of the places I'd really like to go to that have invited me. Um, but that's what I'm going to be doing is doing um, quite a number of lectures on organizing your space and also learning how to adapt your space for changes um, to your body and your environment. And uh, what else have I got going on? Well, we don't have anything travel wise at this point that's, that's going on, but uh, um yeah, maybe maybe getting my flooring done that would getting ripping this carpet out would be would be nice. <laughs> yes. Um, there you go. That's your 2021 goal is get the carpet. 2021 out. goal. Yes. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to meeting people uh, via Zoom. It's not the same as as doing a lecture in a in a guild, but the the upside is everyone has a front row seat. Everyone can see and you can hear. Um, and um, you know, they might not have been able to get me to come across the the pond. I have a few Canadian gigs and I might not have been able to do that. So Zoom has its advantages as well. Um, so it's, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Excellent. And so if somebody wants to see more about you, your work or the organizing, like where, where should they go? Um, they can go to my website. It's lelobowman.com. Yep. And so I've got a, a blog. I blog occasionally. I Instagram almost all the time. So that's Lilo Bowman. 
and um, and and you can also get a signed copy of my book on my website. So if they are interested, yes, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time because I know that the uh, the three ring the five ring circus continues. <laughs> it, it does. It does. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we will um, be back into the studio again and um, be able to have the audience there, which would be lovely because we love having the live audience. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's It's been a long time since we've chatted. It's been, <laughs> what, three years? I know people don't, I think people don't know how long the book life cycle is. And then I generally work with people right at the beginning and then you work with different departments throughout the rest of the process. So it is, it's fun to get a chance to catch up again. Yeah, absolutely. And before we didn't do it via Zoom. We just did a phone call. I know. Like I, I do love the Zoom thing now. <laughs> yeah, it is it is very nice. So thank you very much for asking me. I really appreciate it. It was it was great fun. Yeah, definitely. And we'll do it again sometime soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yes. This is Roxy Serta. Thanks for listening to Behind the Scenes. Want to know more about our outstanding group of authors and their books? Visit us online at CT Publishing on Instagram, Twitter, our CNT Publishing channel on YouTube, or on our website at ctpub.com.